happier employees are more successful. They communicate better. They work well together. They treat your customers better. Everybody is happier and you make more money. Small businesses are the backbone of the American economy and here in Michigan, but only 50% will make it five years in business. On Mitten Money, host William Zank will focus on helping Michigan-based business owners with the tough questions that will help them succeed. How do I expand my business? What options do I have for retirement? How do I move forward? Having worked with small business owners throughout his entire career and with excellent attention to detail and strong analytical skills, William Zank of TriStar Trust will unearth answers to these questions and more. You can subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at TriStarTrust.com. Good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Mint Money. So time for a quick story. It's amazing how life works sometimes. When the pandemic started back in March last year, I ended up watching a lot more Netflix, Hulu, and YouTube in my free time. One of the things I started watching more were TED Talks. For those who don't know, these are short yet powerful talks that according to the TED organization are ideas worth spreading. As such, one of these TED Talks that I watched was hosted by one of our guests today, Tara Peters, who spoke about the billion-dollar crisis that's plaguing business, which happens to also be the conversation we're having today with Tara and Kathy Bush. They both co-wrote the critically acclaimed book, The Demotivated Employee. In today's discussion, we discuss the book in depth, investigate how demotivation can critically affect an organization, and dismiss some of the common myths about business consultants and how they can really benefit a business. And so welcome, Kathy and Tara. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're glad to be here. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and get started. So first off, can you both tell the listeners a little bit about your own backgrounds? And also, what made you interested in pursuing a career in business consultant? Because as we've talked about in some of these pre-discussions, you guys also have other careers full-time outside the consulting world. So do you guys mind talking a little bit about both those things? I'll just kind of share that one of the things that I like to think about from a consulting perspective is really it's just another way to help organizations. And so being an educator, helping, we're kind of wired that way. And so it really just kind of aligns if you think about the things that bring value and bring joy and really help me to leverage some skills that I have. It's kind of a natural fit. And one of the interesting things, too, is that it really aligns with where my interests have really been professionally. So I spend most of my career in business settings, be it a little bit of time early on in a for-profit context, but most of that time in nonprofit. But you know what? It doesn't matter. Every business has revenues and they got expenses. And so being able to help organizations, regardless of their mission or what they're trying to accomplish, really having that opportunity to come alongside them and say, okay, how can we help? And really, that's what I see the consultant's role being, to really come alongside to help an organization to deal with whatever problem or what some might define as opportunity or challenge that they might be facing to really help them to solve that and then really move the organization forward. And so for me, that really is a nice fit and really just kind of has a lot of appeal for me, both personally and professionally. So it's a treat, of course, to work with my good friend, Tara, and we'll talk for a minute about how we came together to work on this project in our business. But my background is actually, it's fun to be on the Mitten Money podcast because my roots are mostly in Michigan as I started my career out and worked for a while there. And in my early career, I worked in a manufacturing organization 
in which there were really, really smart people who had technical degrees like chemical engineering, who then advanced into positions of leadership. And they didn't necessarily have training as leaders. And so many of them would kind of bump into the difficulty that you face when you're excellent at one thing, and then you care about the success of a whole group of people, but you don't have the skill set necessarily for leading people or the time, or you don't kind of recognize what it looks like. And I imagine for those of you who are listening, you can relate to that. You've got passion for the business that you've started, the leadership role you have in that position that you are in. And maybe you are also realizing that the human beings that come to work need their leader to do certain things that you might not have thought of before. And so that's actually what first got me interested in the consulting world and specifically in leadership development. And so I started doing work as a consultant in leadership development internally for an organization called Dow Corning, now a part of Dow Chemical. And I have been doing that as an external consultant since the early part of the 90s and off and on really since then, simultaneously working in the academic field. And so Tara and I actually taught together at Northwood University for a while, and both of us have an interest in development of leaders. And so working with MBA students that work in all sorts of industries and all sorts of levels of leadership, that has really given us a lot of insight and a lot of enthusiasm for the topic that we're going to be talking about today. Wow. So certainly two very different backgrounds, but also I can see how you guys kind of mix yin and yang together in order to kind of come together, be able to go write this book and be able to go talk about all these different types of topics that you guys have talked about. For most people, they view consultants as really only focusing on one direct thing for better or worse, which is to improve profits. But could you guys also both talk about some of the varying things that consultants can also help do to improve a business that most people wouldn't think about? So first thing I'll say is that we think profits are good. <laughs> they really are beneficial to organizations. And so having that priority, we certainly see the benefit in that. But we also understand, too, that organizations also have other priorities that they also need to navigate. And so when you think about consulting, Kathy alluded to this, is that we're interested in growing people. And so when you think about leaders in your organization, they are touching every part of your operation. They have an impact on how your employees are interacting with customers. They have an impact on your processes and how you're actually taking your goods and services, whatever they might be, and actually delivering those to your customers. And so leaders are really important. Leaders set the tone for your organization in terms of culture and how people interact with one another and how people value one another. And so we think it's really important that organizations look at their people. And we spent a lot of time talking about how people are our most important asset. And so we'd have to do more than just talk about that. We actually have to put some resourcing behind that. And so I'll give an example really of how you think about how consultants can work in other ways. And so one of the things that Kathy and I do in our work is really helping to build more cohesive teams. I mean, you can imagine going into an organization that has some restructuring <laughs> that's going on and now teams are being reassembled. Well, the organization may need some help with that. And so, yes, they have managers and they've got operational leaders and all that internally, but they may need some outside help. And that's where we can come alongside the organization and say, okay, what are you struggling with? What are you grappling with? And we can come in, identify what that need is, and then really develop something in concert uh, with the organization that really helps them to close that gap. And so really, this is that focus 
focus again, more broadly beyond just the focus on profits, but really looking at people, investing in them, looking at how you're going to develop them. And then again, kind of giving you that direct illustration of how that can operationalize itself in terms of an example of really looking to build more cohesive teams inside of an organization. So there's lots of really cool work that consultants can do. And you can imagine too, that indirectly, a more cohesive team is going to be more productive, a more cohesive team is going to be better able to problem solve, which is likely going to be helpful to your organization's bottom line as well. So I just want to speak to those of you who kind of went a little bit fuzzy, like, oh, we're talking about the soft stuff. This is a thing that Tara and I hear all the time. Will, you've probably heard it or maybe have said it, because if I can't add it up or put it on a spreadsheet, then it isn't important to me. And the truth of the matter is leading people it might require some soft skills, but you don't do it just because you want to be a soft person or a warm and fuzzy person. You do it because it makes good business sense. Happier employees are more successful. They communicate better. They work well together. They treat your customers better. Everybody is happier and you make more money. Absolutely. No, I love both those answers so much. Diving into each one of those examples, I think was just help tie a nice bow on everything. And so using that example, again, that Tara mentioned about two teams that are combining together for one rhyme or reason. Using that example, when should a business reach out to a consultant? So let's just say for an example, there's a merger or an acquisition, two teams, A and B are going to go combine together. Should a business go look to hiring someone if they've identified the need for a consultant? Should they hire them before everything gets started, kind of help guide them through that process? Should they hire them after it when the teams are starting to get integrated? Should they wait and see to go see how those two teams are going to interact? I mean, there are so many different possibilities. How does someone kind of sort through all that? And then when they do identify that need, how do they go about finding one? Because I imagine you just can't do a simple, I mean, maybe you could do a Google search, but then you're also left with A, B, and C possibilities too. One of the things that I guess I want to suggest is, especially small business owners, or if you're in the emerging stages of a business that's just starting to grow, we're always kind of talking about how we wear multiple hats. Typically, we have our area of expertise and we're just using every last ounce of energy we have to do all the things we're the HR officer, we're the marketing officer, we're the financial officer, we're doing everything, right? And so at that moment in time, we have to kind of cause ourselves to step back and say, wait a minute, am I the most prepared, the most expert at doing this? Is it okay for me to just keep gutting it out and doing most of it right and hoping that I got it right? I talked to my friend at the softball game and this is what he thought I should do, so I'm just going to try it. Sometimes that works, but at some point... You really need to check yourself and say, if there are other people out there who have some additional expertise, and yet there may be a cost associated with that, but that additional expertise is where I'm going to learn and I'm going to grow. And I may not need to rely on them forever, but if I check with folks who have experience in this area and spend that investment there, then in the long run, I'm going to be better off. I might be able to make these decisions more quickly and more effectively very soon after spending some time. I might want a longer-term relationship with that person because their expertise is so well-developed and I don't want to spend the time to develop their expertise. And so it's mostly about checking a little bit of ego, but also just reality checking. I could probably do some things to figure some of this out, but is that going to get me the best outcome? And are there experts nearby that can help? And so that's a useful thing for people to be thinking about when they're in that place. You also asked, how do we go about hiring a consultant? 
And of course, that's not a simple single answer. There are probably consultants near you who work in the area that you have a need in. And so networking is the best thing that you can do, talking to other business owners, talking to other people who've hired consultants. I suppose you could go on Google and say, I need help with leadership development or some other area of your business and see what that brings up. But it's not the common way that you would find somebody because you should be able to network your way into finding someone who knows someone. And what I wanted to say mostly about that is when you're going through the process of deciding, do I even need a consultant? That's kind of a scary part because you don't want to reach out. You don't know if you're going to get billed just even to have the first conversation. You don't know what you're getting into. You don't even know what they're going to charge you. So there's so many unknowns that a lot of people are afraid to take that first step. And I want to say that many consultants will have initial conversations with you that are really valuable in which they'll say, you know what, that's not an area that I work in, but I know somebody who'd be great. And so if you can get to an initial conversation that is not complimentary or that has an exploratory purpose to it, there's a pretty good chance you're not going to be making an investment or a decision, and you're going to get at least directed to a really good expert if you're not already talking to that person. Remember, most of us who get into consulting, we do this because we're in a helping space. We can help you think through your problem from an objective point of view because we're not living in your problem. We've probably seen your problem before, and we have friends who are consultants, so we just want to help you solve your problem. And so for the most part, it's a lot safer to have that initial conversation, sort of risk-free, if you will. Sure. That definitely makes sense. I appreciate you guys uh, touching on that. And so switching topics now to talking about the book, what was the inspiration behind it? And then why talk about demotivation? So why was demotivation the prime topic that you wanted to go discuss in the book? So as Tara and I were going through our journey as professors at Northwood University in the MBA program, various things happened that kind of caused us to recognize I left first. Well, actually, the campus that I worked at was sold. And so I didn't choose to leave directly. And it was sad to leave Northwood, actually. But Tara also has moved to a different role since then. And so at the time, we actually just said to each other, we need a project. We want to stay connected to each other. We loved working together. And so let's find a project that we can work on. And so we began to talk about what was going on, mostly in our MBA classes and our discussions with leaders about the kinds of problems. And one of the things that Tara and I realized, we ended up on this topic of demotivation, because we realized that almost everybody who leads people is keenly aware of those folks who we thought were going to be superstars or who were for a period of time awesome. And suddenly we noticed that they're Motivation has slumped in some way. And so people would naturally talk about those folks who had kind of fallen off their shining horse and what do we do about them? And so we didn't have a term for it. In fact, all the theories that were offered and that we studied were mostly about how to cause motivation as if people who come to work have none and leaders just fill you up. We use the basket analogy for that, like people show up with an empty basket and the leader just throws motivation in the basket. Most of motivational theories kind of talk about it from that point of view. And we actually started to realize that nothing really was helping us to understand what happens when we already have motivation, a full basket of motivation, but something is messing with that. 
So the more Tara and I explored this, the more we realized that this was a really common problem for leaders. The issue, and, and as I say this, I hope you're all kind of recognizing the people you know who seem to be in that motivational slump from time to time. Maybe you've been there. Something is happening, probably not just that you're being a jerk at that point in time or being a lazy bump. It's probably something else. And so that's what we've been investing our time in understanding and what we share in the book. In your guys' opinion, why is so much money lost in productivity with demotivation? And then what kind of impact could this have on others in the workplace? And then has there been any effects from COVID that you've seen that has especially impacted demotivation? We talked a little bit about productivity. And I think the simplest way to think about it, and it goes back to what was discussed in the TED Talk, which of course we talk about in the book, which is disengagement. And so lots of folks are familiar with Gallup and their research, and they do a survey every year called the Q12. And it's 12 questions really looking at employee engagement. And they have these three buckets of employees. You got these people who are fired up and ready to go. And so you got your highly engaged people who are driving your business, really driving your outcomes. And you got some people that are kind of in the middle, right? They're disengaged, but they're still with you. They're just kind of checked out. They're just limping along, just doing enough to get through the day. Then you got that third category of people. They're just not unhappy. They're actively acting out their unhappiness, right? So they might be cheating on their expense report, saying they're at work and they're not really at work. And you have all of those employees in your mix. And what's interesting is that Gallup again, this number has been really stubbornly persistent, that roughly 70% of your employees, seven out of 10, are actively disengaged or disengaged at work. Now, you pay those people. You pay them. They're on your payroll, but they're checked out (laughs) or they're actually sabotaging your business, perhaps. And so if you think about that, that has a financial implication because, again, those are not going to be your most productive employees. They are not contributing in ways that are really adding value to the organization, they're probably costing you more than they are actually contributing. And so we just want to help people say, okay, you really need to pay attention to this because again, there's this implication in terms of your operation. And if you think about that, and Kathy really alluded to this earlier, emotions can be contagious. So if I'm unhappy at work and something that goes on, and this happens all the time, right? So what I'm going to do, I'm going to go to my buddy, Kathy. I'm going to say, Kathy, can you believe we're just talking and going on and on and on? So my negative emotions, now I shared them with Kathy, right? Now she might be feeling some kind of way about it. And then Kathy goes back to her office and then she's talking to her assistant. So again, it just kind of spreads inside of the organization. So it begins to impact others. And then certainly COVID has certainly had an impact on that. And one of the sources of demotivation that we talk about in the book is stress. I was in a in-service earlier this year, really convocation. So that's just the start of the academic year for those who aren't academics. One of the psychology professors was talking about, do you realize that we've been dealing with long-term stress? We've been in this pandemic for 18 months. And it was really just eye-opening because for me anyway, I had just kind of been chugging along and hadn't really thought about the long-term length of time that we'd actually been dealing with COVID and what that means. People are tired. They're exhausted. They're concerned. They're still a little fearful. So all of that comes to the workplace and people are trying to navigate that. And so really, when we think about demotivation and the pandemic, we can certainly see how they're related. And you can imagine if people were already disengaged before the pandemic and then now COVID-19 is here, boy, what does that mean for that employee and more broadly, your employees as a whole? I think something else that could have probably affected demotivation too is social media. Would you guys agree with that, that social media has contributed to demotivation in the workplace? 
in all sorts of ways, social media is the great, let's see, rapid spreader of emotional contagion. We've talked about emotional contagion already in a couple of other contexts, but human beings pick up cues from one another on how to react. And social media has been this enormous way of sending very quick signals to one another about how to react. And so, of course, it could actually spread positive emotional contagion. And I can think of lots of examples where that happens. But if there's something people are unhappy about, social media can certainly be a way that we communicate our dissatisfaction pretty rapidly. And a person who's neutral, who is neither motivated nor demotivated by what's going on around them, they're just busy doing their job. A person who's neutral is usually the most at risk. So if you've already taken a position on whatever's going on, what gets posted probably doesn't change that position. But there are plenty of people who are just trying to do their job, who are getting trapped into the extra messaging that happens. And again, before social media, we had our other ways of doing that. So you could see the gossip spread around an office in other ways, and it still had the same effect, right? So the neutral people who weren't inclined to be demotivated and lose productivity now caught on to something's going on. And so their attention's there and their worry is there and all sorts of things. And so it actually functions in a real similar way, except for the speed with which social media works is is pretty remarkable. Moving on to the next question. So at TriStar, while as a firm, we provide comprehensive wealth management services to our clients, at the center of all this are relationships. Building genuine relationships is something that we talk about every day. And I'm sure that you find relationships as key to part to being successful educators and business consultants. So can you guys talk about that and then maybe share any examples that you've experienced firsthand with regard to the importance of building relationships within your consulting practice? One of the things I used to always say to students is, if you don't remember anything else that I say, remember the power of relationships. I promise you that most of what you're going to do professionally is going to be tied to a relationship that you have. And the health of that relationship is going to have all sorts of implications for your professional opportunities that are going to come your way. And so Kathy and I both, just how important relationships are in business. It's just the way that things get done. People do business with your company, Will, because they trust you. You built a relationship with them over time. They value your expertise. They know that you're going to manage their assets well. They know that you're going to look out for their best interest. And so because of that, they are then going to decide to choose you as an option. So that's just the way that most of us operate in life is that we function out of relationships. Why? Because we built a rapport, which is then led to trust. And so we then are willing to take that next step in terms of formalizing that engagement. Just from a business perspective, as consultants, the work that we've done, so much of it has been built upon previous relationships. So people know us, they know our good work, they know that we are experts, we know that we are going to help them in a way that's going to be meaningful and valuable. And so really, so much of what we do is based upon referral, I mean, quite honestly. And so as a result of that, that's a function of a relationship. You don't refer people. that you don't trust or that you did not have a good experience with. And so we think that that is really so important in the work. To me, it's simple. You need to work with people. You need to be trustworthy. You need to do what you say you're going to do. When you say you're going to do it, you need to deliver. All of that helps to build a relationship. And so that's really how Kathy and I have tried to approach the business. We became business partners because we have a relationship where we really like each other. We actually love each other and we get along great and we trust each other. And we know that we have skill sets that can bring value. So Kathy, what else would you add to that? 
I was actually just thinking about uh, speaking to those folks who know this or have heard this before, but they don't make the time or it's just not a fit within their personality. So they understand the power of relationships. They're agreeing with us as they're listening, but maybe you're just saying, I don't do the networking social thing, or I've given all my priorities that falls low on my priority list in terms of the other tasks that I do or obligations I have. And then there's the folks who are more introverted, so they don't enjoy the opportunities to go mingle and socialize and meet folks they don't already know. They'd rather put that energy into doing the work, even within the organization. They're not the ones hopping over to the quick ice cream social high five and the other members of the team, they stay at their desk. And that might be because they're introverted. So I just want to speak to you for a minute because it's not really entirely a quantity game. It is also a quality game. So if you're not going to invest in a lot of relationships, it doesn't fit in your timetable or your personality, then it's really important that the relationships you do invest in, you need to invest in some relationships and that those need to be quality relationships that you need to take the time to put your phone down, to turn your face from your computer, to have a meaningful conversation with people where you're focused on that conversation, where you're mutually benefiting, where you're learning about them and they're learning about you and where they get to see the trustworthy, true spirit of what you have to give. And that kind of quality, however much time you can invest in that, it needs to be that level of quality. That's what's going to build your relationship and your reputation over time. So if it's not for you, if you understand it, but don't like doing it, then do a little bit of it and do think about this quality comment and think about what you can do to do it really well in an undistracted way. I feel the need to underscore that because of course, now all of us are working while looking at our phones and multitasking with all the tools we have. And that's really not a great way to build the relationships. Two amazing responses. So wow, really appreciate you guys mentioning all those different things, especially Kathy, to your point, just some different tips for people who may not find that as top of priority, but quality, quantity, I mean, just amazing advice. And so appreciate you guys mentioning that. For those who want to learn more about both of you, and then also the book too, what are some good resources for the listeners out there? So Tara already referred to our business, which is the Leadership Doctors. And we both are really fully engaged with other activities in our academic lives that we've also talked about. So we have a select number of clients that we work with, and we're excited to continue to meet new people and work with new folks. But the best way to reach us if you're interested in any kind of consulting or exploring the kind of consulting work we do is to start with our website, the Leadership Doctors. Make sure you have the the in there because if you just say leadership doctors, then it'll take you to some medical MD doctors who have leadership roles. So the leadership doctors will then give you some information about the kinds of things we do. Again, I mentioned this earlier. It may be an exploratory conversation that is part of networking that leads you down a path towards somebody else. So we know an awful lot of folks who might be the right people to help you. So our book, as mentioned, is The Demotivated Employee, and that you can get on Amazon. You can buy it through our website. You can buy it at barnesandnoble.com and any other major booksellers. So we'd be happy to help you find your way to that as well. And then you can follow us on social media. We were talking about that earlier. 
Specifically for us, it would be LinkedIn. We both have profiles there. I'm Tara Peters, PhD, Kathy Bush, PhD. And so we'd be happy to connect with you on LinkedIn. And just, again, if an exploratory conversation makes sense, we'd be happy to do that as well. And if you order the book from our website, you'll get a signed copy of it. But we're really here to help to help organizations be better and to really help leaders to create the kinds of healthy workplaces that they want so that employees are not demotivated and that they're bringing their full selves and talents to the workplace each day so that they can help your customers and your other clients that you're working with to be successful. Thank you again for listening to another episode of Mid Money. Please don't forget to follow our podcast so you don't miss when new episodes drop. Thanks, Tara. Thanks, Kathy. You've been listening to Mitten Money, sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at TriStarTrust.com. <laughs>